All right, take your Bibles quickly and turn to Philippians chapter 1. I'm going to explain what I'm going to try to do this morning for the next, I don't know, maybe 30, 40 minutes is my my hope. I'm not promising, but that's my hope. Um, I want to talk a little bit this morning about what we call social covenant, and I really don't like the name social covenant. Uh, but I, I just thought it was really important that, uh, yeah, because I know that it's something that we, we used to try to talk about it every year. And I think like, you know, there's like, oh, we've heard this before, so we don't need to do it again. But like, we're aware that people are coming in and going out, and it's just it's a good reminder. So here's what I want to ask you to do. For those of you who've been around for a while, I want you to be thinking ahead of time, how has this challenged me? How has it changed me? Say Challenge. How has it challenged me? How has it challenged my thinking? And how has it changed me? Now, for those of you who don't know what we're talking about, we'll get there in just a minute. And what I want to do this morning is I want to kind of walk through some things. I actually was invited to share with Refuge Church last week. And, man, God is just alive. Cody Weber, God is alive. You know, when you put those scriptures on the screen today, I just began to weep. Because um, God just was is talking to us this morning. And Cody and I didn't talk, but the scriptures that Cody put up are talking about the same exact things that we're going to look at today. But... I know sometimes, like, hey, is this biblical? Well, I don't say find the phrase social covenant any place in Scripture. And I, if I could find, actually, I was looking up a word this morning that maybe we can figure out how to use it. But look at Philippians chapter, I told you chapter 1 because I want you to start reading in chapter 2. Um, look at verse 1, okay? So, again, we're going to read a few verses here. I promise you it's even better if you go back and read the whole letter. But therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, if there's any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than yourself, Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Let's read that one more time. Okay? Now really let these words sink in. Therefore, actually, because it says therefore, I'm just going to look up to one verse above it, that beginning of the next section, which is chapter 1, verse 27, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. We talked about this somewhere going through Ephesians, the same kind of thoughts revealed there. This is not just about being nice people to each other. This is actually super connected to what it means to follow Jesus, okay? So back to chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Let each of you look not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Now, we're going to kind of use this as a springboard this morning to to get into some scriptures about what it means to live in a recognizable uh, lifestyle, what it means for us to look like what Jesus said uh, we should look like, and... Um, but I thought the scripture in, in Philippians was so important for us to, to think about and talk about because we're in a season right now where we're asking God to make us ready, to make us prepared, right? So again, without going through all of that, we're asking God to help us to exercise and get strengthened so that each one can do his part. You got Jesus inside of you, man. And because you do, there's a, there's a part that God has for you to play in the body that nobody else can fulfill. Do you guys believe that? And so there's ways that Cody led us this morning that were a part of what's happening with God and Cody and their relationship. How many of you know that and understand that? And where Cody's at in his relationship with God at this point gives him some perspectives and what it means to help lead. That would be, do you have some different perspectives now than you did three years ago? So Cody is able to, to go after some things and lead us in some things differently now than he could at a different stage in his own life. 
And if Michael were up here leading us this morning, he would have led us differently because it's not just about the function of playing a guitar and singing songs. Each joint supplies a need for the other. Does that make sense? Right? So this is this calling you out. So we're asking God, make us all ready to run. And today, guys, is uh, 70 days since I started my health reset thing. Right? <laughs> 70 days. And we talked about this, but guys, this revelation didn't come 70 days ago. Like, I knew, I've known for a while. And we talked about this again last, last summer. I put this up, you know, and like struggled for months and months more to get my knees good. I mean, this whole thing. But look what this says. Wanting to be in shape is not enough to make me ready to run. Having a thought about, hey, I, I want to be a follower of Jesus. I want to like walk in my giftings, walk in my callings. Like just wanting that is not enough. We have to exercise that. So this morning is I ask you to participate and share, hey, we're not, I'm not asking for you to get up and preach a 30-minute thing, but I'm asking like, hey, what are some ways? I believe that this morning, instead of me giving a ton of illustrations, like I believe there'll be testimonies that we can hear from each other. And so I want you to dig deep. So there's five places we're going to talk about that I want you to think about. One of them is, what does it mean to be in this social covenant? How has that challenged you? This idea of we're going to agree together ahead of time of how we're going to follow Jesus. How has just that overall concept challenged you? And then in it, there's four parts of it that we say, hey, we'll agree to confront each other in love. We'll agree to walk in honor with each other. We'll agree to have like accountability out of relationships. We're not just looking for each other's sin, but trying to call people to be who God made them to be and to walk in purity with each other. So I want you to think about, are there areas where those, uh, the overall concept and then each of those areas have challenged you or changed you, okay? Holy Spirit, help us. This is what we're aiming for. Can you read that over there to the right? Can you read that with me? To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Let's do that again. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What does that mean? What's that? That's the standard. Where does that come from? Ephesians chapter 4. So this, this is like a place that, let me just aim in my heart. Okay? You guys with me? All right. Did you know that Pittsburgh used to be out west? How many of you knew that? Pittsburgh was considered the edge of the wilderness. Pittsburgh, the final frontier. That was back in the French and Indian War. How many of you know Pittsburgh, like nobody in our nation thinks Pittsburgh's out west anymore? Right? But for people who started out, that was a very long journey to get out west to Pittsburgh. But now just Pittsburgh's just a stop. So then, then after Pittsburgh was not considered out west, it was considered the gateway to the west. Now St. Louis is the gateway to the west. And there are people who started out as pioneers to go someplace who didn't make it all the way where they started, but they found really good places. So like people who started out on the Oregon Trail settled in Denver. How many of you like Denver? Denver's nice. How many of you know Denver's not Oregon? Right? So we are on a journey to that. And it's really important that we don't settle for someplace nice. Does that make sense? We can't afford to become comfortable with something that we like. And so sometimes if we have a better experience than maybe one that we had before or, or just feel, oh, we've had some progress, it's easy to settle. I'm just saying, this is what the word of God says that the church should look like. And I am believing God that that's going to happen, right? So recognizable. Let's look at John. If you want to turn to John chapter 13. Let's read the scripture. If not, you can look up here. John chapter 13, verse 35 says this, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Cody said it so well. We can think we know what these words mean. We can read them thousands of times and not really sink in. How many of you have known that phrase before, love one another? How many of you feel like, okay, God, I'm committed. I'm going to love my neighbor. I'm going to love one another. Just you're committed to that. That's what we're going to do. Yeah? That next phrase is really scary, isn't it? Love one another as I have loved you. 
that's not realistic. That's not reasonable. I'm not able to do that, so that's for somebody else. God never calls us to something he doesn't empower us to walk out. He's not intentionally trying to make you stumble, right? Do you believe that? So, like, here's how the message paraphrases this. Let me give you a new commandment. Love one another. In the same way that I love you, you will you love one another. This is how everyone will recognize, say the word recognize, that you are my disciples when they see the love that you have for each other. So recognizable, what does this mean? Does the world recognize that I'm a follower of Jesus because the way that I love? Does the world recognize who we are because of the way that we love? That is not meant to be something to discourage us. It is meant to be something that fuels us. Are you together with me in that, right? I'm not trying to move fast, but you guys know the rules. Just feedback will be really good. Here's another way of asking the same question. Would I be implicated? If I were put on trial for being a follower of Jesus, would my love implicate me? Would the way that we love each other implicate us as guilty as being followers of Jesus? If they were looking, where are those Christians? Where are those followers of the way? Would they say, oh, we know some people? Not because of our T-shirts or our Facebook statuses, but by the way that we love each other, by the way that we live our lives. This is a quote from Jesus. Love one another. Here's a quote from one of his friends. Love one another deeply from the heart, for you've been born again. Here's a quote from Paul to his spiritual son, Timothy. For we reach the goal of fulfilling all the commandments when we love others deeply with a pure heart, a clean conscience, and sincere faith. This is not just a passing thought. This is one of the foundations of Scripture. This is one of the foundations of what it means to follow Jesus. Are we together on that? This is not a passing moment that I used to kind of think these love one another scriptures were kind of like the sappy, cheesy stuff that like, oh, those people who want to love each other. Like it wasn't really the hardy part of following Jesus. Then I understood loving each other is not easy. How many of you know that to be true? One of my favorite moments last week at Refuge Church. By the way, it was just amazing to be there. Let's just keep praying for them. Their pastor has been going through cancer. He gets to come back to church next Sunday. He's been out for a while doing some treatments, and then he'll get to start preaching again in November. But I walked in, and Candace is leading worship, and Mike is playing the violin, and Sarah's on the box drum. <laughs> David was doing all the announcements and all the pastoring stuff, and like, man, it was just like, wow. Do you, see, you realize there's like, there's a church of people that started out, and a few months in, their pastor got cancer. And God has used, like, people who are part of our family to go and, like, be a part of that church but love them in a way that's really strengthening them. It was such an honor to be there. See that facial, rec facial recognition stuff up there? I don't know if you can see the good-looking guy behind it, but that's me. Embracing love. Get ready to give a testimony. Does anybody can, can tell, have a testimony? Embracing love is costly. Has anybody got a word from the Lord about that or a word from your experience? It's true. Cody, you have any thoughts on that? Got it, guys, speak up. Is there any thought? I was hoping you'd say something, bro. How, is, how, how have you learned that embracing love is costly?
I don't know if you know this, but Cody's preparing a sermon series on the secret place. And one of the reasons I'm really glad about that is I think sometimes the idea of loving each other can feel disconnected from the secret place, but what he just said was really important. That whenever love gets costly, where do we go to get refueled? See, if love sources with me, it's just, guys, this is not a theory. This is fact. If love sources from me and it comes out of my niceness, love is not a fruit of my niceness. Love is a fruit of the Spirit. And it will show if I am not walking in a place that I am rooted in the Spirit because I will run out of love. Right? But if, my, if love is a fruit of my relationship with growing with the Spirit and walking, keeping step for the Spirit, step for step of the Spirit, then like I don't have to worry about the source of my love drying up because the source of my love is bigger than me and bigger than us and bigger than every hard thing. And so whenever I say $17 billion, that costs a lot, but we cost more. And so the love of God, he said, if I didn't spare my own son, how would I withhold any good thing from you? That is meant for the person who's being a jerk to you. And so the love of God being made available to us and to each other is really important in those moments. So does that make sense? All right, so the love of God is costly. Embracing love is also imperative. It's just not an option. It's not like, well, you know, I'm not really in a season for that right now. I'm in a season more of like just self, you know, self-relationship with God, not loving each other. You just, you can't find that in Scripture. And so this is like not a, you know, it's kind of like, hey, I'm going to follow Jesus by myself. It's just, it's not in there. We'll read some scriptures that like back that up more. Like this is really important that we understand this is not an option. Like you don't get to check this. If you've been to Blackout Burgers and they have that little checklist that you can like fill in your burger, this is not a like, oh yeah, I'll have some loving other people on there. No, like this is a part of following Jesus. <laughs> Jesus said, hey, do you love God? Do you love your neighbor? Who's my neighbor? This is not just about loving a couple people either. Go back and read what Jesus said about who loving your neighbor is. Are you guys okay? Marco. <laughs> All right, here we go. <laughs> embracing love goes against the norm, um, but embracing love is the aim of our ethos. And that word ethos means your norm. How many of you know the scripture that says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is? That word ethos is the word that translates as manner, manner, custom. What is the thing that is native to your culture? What's native to your culture? Is it native to the culture of the world to embrace loving each other and to esteem other people better than you? Is that native to what the world's culture looks like? No, that's why Hebrews 11 says that there's a city whose builder and maker is God and has foundations. You are actually from some place. You are from a city that's from God's heart, and you have, you have different things that are native to your DNA. Later, it says that, that we are to live as strangers and pilgrims. That word pilgrim there is the word sojourner. And that word sojourner means that we have a different set of customs. This is the custom of heaven, to love deeply. God is love. I smell like love whenever I'm around him. Are you there? Are you with me? Okay, so let's, let's reread these scriptures that uh, Cody, oh, no, but this is a good one. Cody didn't mention this one. We know that we have passed from death to life. How do you know if you've passed from death to life? This is a scary verse. How do you know if you pass, passed from death to life? It's right there behind me. You can say it. It's okay. Like, I don't know. I've not thought about that. How do you know? Because we love. If you actually go back and read 1 John 3 and 4, it's just like the most convicting thing. But it's such an invitation. It's not a conviction to put you down. It's an invitation to invite you up. Yeah, it's, it's, it really is. It's an, an invitation into a different lifestyle that is just meant to be like what defines us is the way we love him and the way we love each other. Again, and this is his commandment that we should believe on the name of the Lord, uh, on, the, on his son, Jesus Christ. How many of you know that's a pretty important commandment? This is, the, this is the commandment, that you would believe on the name of the Son of God. How many of you know that's important? And love one another. Can, can you feel the weight of the priority on this instruction? Yes? You guys are scaring me. All right, so love is foundational to our walk as a Jesus follower. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but I have not love, I've become a sounding brass or clanging cymbal. 
And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And I, though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor or to give to hurricane relief or to see justice come to different people groups, and though I give my body to be burned, but I have not love, it profits me nothing. So what does this mean? That means spiritual gifts and understanding and faith and power and justice without love means nothing. We can do all of the right things. We can, we can construct all the right mindsets in our life and be active in all the areas. But if we don't have the foundation of love, what does it profit us? What does it profit a man to gain the whole world? Man, this is a big deal. Do you see that? So, how do we step into love? Social covenant. Family agreement. How many of you have been challenged by the call to live in this, I think, of a social covenant? Anybody got like a couple minutes? You can just, Gabe. Go ahead, Father. Yes. One of the things the Lord taught us, um, started teaching us a few years ago, was that um, love expresses itself best through commitment. Um, so God's intention for love to fully express itself was for him to give his son. And if we look in the New Testament, it also talks about um, one of the greatest pictures of that on the earth is the mystery of marriage. So as we were praying for Doug and Jamie, there's something that happens when two become one, two commit themselves to walk together that... Um, Love is, can be most fully expressed. So in our world, um, this is, I don't need to talk a whole lot about marriage, but um, we know, hey, that's supposed to be a commitment. But there aren't a whole lot of other places, if you look in society, where um, people are committed to each other. Um, it's basically when they're committed to each other as long as it's easy enough or profitable enough um, as measured by how they measure profit individually. So in a very individualistic society, I have a measure, you have a measure. If our measures don't match, then we can just decide, let's go find someone else or another church, another job, another, you name it. Let's go find something else that measures, that meets my measurement. Um, so that's something the Lord started teaching us as we started talking about social covenant is, hey, there are things that we can't actually learn together if there isn't a level of commitment to walking together. Um, because the moment, for the, any of you who are married or have ever been in a relationship where the other person is less committed than you are, the moment it gets hard, they somehow they find the eject button that has been hiding for weeks or months or years, and they hit eject, and then you're left trying to work through something, and they're not there. Either physically or emotionally, they're not there. Um, so there's something about commitment that means, hey, like, we're here. Um, and so it would be easy for us to idolize, a so create something, this thing called social covenant, and make an idol out of it, um, so that's a temptation for our body because we think we have this thing that actually helps us walk together. Um, but it also is, we now have this thing that's actually, we, we have a name for something that um, characterizes what it means to walk together in commitment. Can I share for one more minute? Yeah. So as we were worshiping, I felt like the Lord was speaking to me just about some things that we've learned regarding social covenant. And... Um, one of the things he's taught me is that I am everywhere I go. So it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter where I go, I'm there. And oftentimes I've found that I encounter the same problems wherever I go. And it's kind of like, what the heck's wrong with these people? <laughs> or what's wrong with this job? Or what's wrong with dot, dot, dot? And like... In many of the situations, the only common factor is me. <laughs> um, and unless, until I was started to walk in committed relationship with people, it, it wasn't like, 
when I didn't have an eject button or when there wasn't a better option that I could go to pursue because I said I was committed, then I started realizing that, like, I had to stick in a place long enough for me to realize that I'm actually the problem or the problem is somewhere in me. Um, so many of us, you know, like, we've prayed the prayer, God, I'll go wherever you tell me to go. I'll do whatever you tell me to do. And that actually led many of us here, um, despite, so anyway, so that was cool when God told us to do that sometimes, but then we're here and something stinky happens or things get hard and we start finding ourselves praying that prayer again. God, I'll do whatever you tell me to do. I'll go wherever you call me to go because I realized that like this is like God's working on me where I am here and and I'm looking for a new situation that I think, like, it will be easier in that situation. Or, like, God will be able to move in a greater way. Like, many of us have been to, like, Bethel or IHOP or, like, hung out with, with like, a lot of really cool people who are following Jesus as if, like, okay, these people have the formula. Like, and maybe not intentionally or unintentionally. I, I went and spent a, mu- a month at IHOP thinking, man, I'm going to get in, like, the presence of God. It's going to be awesome. And then, like, after a month w- or six months or two years, whatever new thing is, like, no longer new and exciting. And then I'm left figuring out what is the next new thing or new exciting thing, realizing that, like, hey, like, maybe the new and exciting thing that God wants to do um, is actually wherever I am, and actually, and so th- when Cody was talking about the secret place, and Brad was talking about it, like, that's available anywhere I am, and um, that's what we're learning is, like, hey, how do we pursue the Lord together, and um, never, um, never grow weary, or never, like, let it lose its luster of pursuing Jesus, um, and that's one of the big things that I've learned, and social covenant is, like, basically kept me here long enough to start learning that. Amen. Yeah, at least it can never become an idol. Hopefully it's a tool. And actually, there's a lot more one another's that don't even cover it in this. So we just say, we have this one document on our website that says, hey, we're committed to following all the instructions of the New Testament. Here are things that God's doing in us right now. But like, I remember Gabe talking about just like how God was preparing his heart for family because he was having to learn how to like say yes how many of you can relate to what he was talking about? That it's it seems pretty normal in our culture to like, well, if I don't like what's happening, I'll just find something different. But that's just a different way. <laughs> that's a different way. So, yeah, there's four things that we aim for together. So here's the first one. We, we agree to confront each other in love. Anybody say that this has challenged you or changed you? And you can just share. Uh, Anna, I see that hand. <laughs> come, come take a minute and just... Talk about that. <laughs> Anna's going to gather her thoughts. Let me tell you that it is not if there are issues. Can you say when? What this means is when there are issues, we have agreed to talk about it and do it one-on-one. There's multiple places where we can pull from that. Matthew 18 is the slide I put in for last week. Paul also teaches about this. But when, and in Scripture, there's both a place of sin and offense. You recognize that? When there's a sin, I'm agreeing, hey, if I see something, I'm going to come in love and humility, and I'm going to come with a posture of coming to that person in one-on-one. We're not going to, like, participate in all the Christian games of gossip, like, Bev, I have a problem with Ben. Uh, can, can I talk to you about it and we can pray about it together? That's not one-on-one. I don't need to process it with a thousand people before I go do something one-on-one. I need to learn. Man, the first step is I'm going to take and go do this person to person. Then God gives us, hey, if that doesn't go well, God gives a provision of what it find to find some other, somebody else who's committed to love. Who else do I know that's committed to Anna and to me that we can get to, like, be a part of this conversation so that we can be reconciled fully? Does that make sense? That is 
How many of you know that is just not normal in the world? Listen, confrontation is not a spiritual gift. It's not a part of your personality type. It's not on your Enneagram. There's like, it is, it is just like absolutely something that is not from this planet. It's from the heart of God. And so our commitment to it cannot be because we're comfortable with it. Our commitment has to be because it's a part of what God says. It doesn't make sense to me sometimes. I would much rather just like, I'll just deal with it myself and move on. But that's not the goal. Confrontation is not for me. And it's ultimately not for Katie. It's for Jesus. It's so that Christ is glorified in our relationship. So I've been intentionally committed to walking in <laughs> confrontation with people since probably like 2011, 2012. Um, and I think initially there was a lot of places where it was like, okay, this is uncomfortable, but like, I know my friendship will be strengthened or like there's a lot of like easily accessible fruit from confrontation like at the beginning, the first probably like three or four years. And then there were confrontations that I didn't have a good perspective on going into it, I guess, or whatever. They just didn't have good fruit. They had a lot of hurt and they had a lot of pain and they had a lot of like, okay, well, I'll try again. And then same result and then I'll, tr I'll try again and then same result and then I'll try again and same result and finally I was like all right I guess I have uh, just done <laughs> like I don't know what else to do I'm like you know like I've, I've done everything I know how to do and it's not seemingly helping and I'm just like so hurt and I just can't even like I just can't even deal with this anymore I'm, I'm done and I would I just checked out for probably like a year and throughout that year the Lord directly in the secret place and also through some friends was like, hey, I, I don't think that's okay. Uh, maybe <laughs> maybe we should like keep praying into this and not just be good with checking out because you're committed to this thing <laughs> of confrontation and just like fighting for each other and, and loving. Um, and so, so I really tried to have my heart be in this place of like, okay, Lord, like I'm like, open to that, but I need you to do some things in me because I just don't know what else to do. And like, I'm so hurt and I'm so, um, I just feel so helpless to like actually change something. And so it was a process for sure. And, um, and I really had to just like, I had to die to myself in a lot of places and I had to just like just give things that I couldn't change about myself and other people to the Lord. And, like, you don't realize <laughs> how much we hold on to our, our own ability to do something or to change something or to, like, affect things. But, like, especially in being married now and in these several confrontations that I've had in the last six months, I've just realized, like, I just really focus a lot on my ability to do something, my ability to hear from the Lord to then go talk, my ability to go do this, my ability, whatever. And the Lord just like, hey, like, you're just committed to this thing of, like, loving. And the only reason you can love is because of Jesus and, like, because, of, uh, because I loved, because I gave my son and because Jesus loved and he gave his life. And, and because we love you, that's the only reason you can do any of these things and anybody can do any of these things. And so I just really had to, like, die, <laughs> and I had to let go of that, and I had to just, like, sit on couches very uncomfortably <laughs> for a while and just, like, share where I was at and what had been happening for, like, in some cases, like, three or four years of, like, hey, this is how I've been feeling, and this is what's been happening, and blah, 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 and it's, like, humbling and exposing and painful and uncomfortable but at the end of it, they both looked at me and they're like, so, like, is this, like, we're not friends anymore? Or, like, what does this mean? <laughs> and I'm like, no, like, social covenant. Like, this is, like, because we're committed, like, because I don't, like, this isn't okay that this is what our relationship is like now. And so, like, I don't know what it looks like to move forward, but I just know that, like, we have this and we're committed to love. And so we, we need to, like, be able to dialogue about this and continue to move forward. And it costs a lot, but it's worth it. And it's why, like... Yeah, it's just worth it. I saw a lot of things in my church growing up where people didn't do this. And so over the course of 20 years, that church fractured and split multiple times because there was too many places where people didn't do this. And it's just like in my heart for this church to not have that be its testimony, but for this church to have love be its testimony over the course of 20 years, 50 years, however long it is. 
that's that's worthy of an altar call right there. Um, she just said, confrontation leads me to have to die. How many of you know that having to die might make you more like Jesus? So can we just pray for a second? God, anything we believe about confrontation and love, that's not what you believe. God, anything we've experienced or any place we're afraid, God, by your kindness, come and change the way we think. God, help us not be afraid to lay down our lives. Help us not to be, be afraid of, like, the pain of dying to ourselves. God, keep us healthy. We don't want to, like, enter into some martyr spirit and just go, like, moving from a place. God, I, I, yeah, I just thank you, God, that as you teach us to, like, esteem each other better than ourselves, it's not because we don't esteem ourselves, but out of our recognition of who you've made us to be, we're able to humble ourselves. And I just pray that from what Anna was sharing, God, that we would really hear the invitation to come and die. In Jesus' name. Thank you. Yeah, yeah Mike, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I just keep on thinking about this story, just this example that um, I experienced confrontation. It was just really powerful, and it just really, uh, I don't know, it just made me realize how powerful it was and just really changed my mind on the importance of it. Um, but one day I was working on Woodman Tree Service job site, and somebody was backing up a truck, and I thought they were, like, just not doing a good job. And we were communicating back and forth, and um, I just, like, snapped, and I was like, bro, like, come on, like, just do it. Or something like that. And uh, I know I shouldn't have snapped. And then he, like, fired back. And it was just, like, real ugly. And um, and I just felt really disgusting. Like, it was just, you can just feel it. You know what I mean? When you have, like, those, just, like, that tension. And it just, like, went for a minute or two. And I was like, man, like, this really sucks. Like, the rest of the day is really going to suck. And so, like, I just went up to him. And I was like, look, bro, like, I shouldn't have said that. And, like, I'm sorry. Um, can we just, like forgive each other and move on, like, with the rest of the day, and, like, he was just really excited, and it was just such a powerful moment, like, it totally blew me away, and there was greater connection than there was before after we, like, went through this brief moment of confrontation, um, and it just totally changed my perspective on it, and just kind of just, like, revealed to me how powerful it was, so, crazy. Just repeat after Mike, right, <laughs> you know, it's like, hey, guys, when things don't make sense, but of what God says, there's going to be grace when we say yes. It doesn't make sense to, like, expend the energy to try sometimes, but God's grace, when we humble ourselves, you become a grace magnet. Say grace magnet. He's, he's committed to resist the proud and give grace to the humble, right? All right. Second thing is we agree to pursue, pursue a culture of honor. Since we are sons and daughters of the Most High God, we will value and serve each other in a respectful and loving manner fitting for the king's children. Written by Jesse Marquis. Woodard now. It sounds like her, right? I was like, I can't read that without, oh, that's Jesse. Since we know who we are and our own identity, we will be committed to treating each other out of that understanding. Honor is important, yes. Yeah, that's, that's very, that's very good. Here's, here's two scriptures to just to give you a context and be thinking if you've been challenged by this call to honor. Love one another with brotherly affection. I don't know if you've heard that before. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Ephesians 4, but speaking the truth in love, we grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. What Gabe was talking about is so important here. Because if we just continue to look for an easier place, we will continue to relocate ourselves away from the provision that God wants to use to supply the needs that he's created you to have. Before or after the fall, did God say, it's not good for man to be alone? Was that before the fall or after the fall? But we live like it was after. We live like, oh, I only have a need because of sin. No, you were designed for relationship. You were designed to have a need in your life that would be filled by somebody else made in God's image. And one of the beautiful things, if we understand God's creation and design for us as 
man, both male and female, is there's not one single human being on the planet that carries the full image of God. But whenever he made God, when God made man in his own image, and then he put Adam to sleep and he took Eve out of Adam, it's because he wanted there to be this part of him that was expressed through males and this part of him that was expressed through females. And then what, he, what does he call him to do? Become one again. And there's not been a human born on the planet that hasn't come from a DNA that carries the male part of God and the female part of God. They're both required to put a new life onto the planet. His design is that we need relationships, not because we're needy sinners, but because we're made in his image. And he wants us to walk in good relationship with each other. Does that make sense? Does that, is that what God's word says? Right? So it doesn't make sense to me sometimes. I would much rather go into my prayer closet, get along with God, get everything I need, then step out ready to face the world. It's just not biblical. This scripture teaches me there's actually parts that I'm to be connected to that are a part of God's best plan for me. I access his best supply for me by being connected to other people. That's humbling. How many of you know that's humbling? Has anybody been challenged by this culture of honor thing or something you've been changed? Yes, Brent. How? How? I'll accept that. I just think every time you walk in, I'm like, man, the presence of royalty has just walked into the room. It's not because... Guys, this is the thing. Yeah. I don't have a long relationship with him to know. Right? It's not my knowing of him, but understanding who God made him to be. What Anna said was really important. If I only know him according to the way he behaves, then he has to have a period of time before I decide whether I'll honor him or not. But Paul said that we should no longer regard anyone according to the Jesus said, hey, who does the world say that I am? Who do you say that I am? The world says he was Elijah, John the Baptist. He says, who do you say I am? He says, you are Christ, the Son of God. Flesh and blood did not reveal that to you. You didn't get that by looking at my flesh. You got that because you were tuned into something different. Honor is whenever I can access what God's image is in someone else and, and treat them according to that, not according to their brokenness, or their bad behavior, or their good behavior. Does that make sense? Yes? Yes. Good. There's literally no record of wrongs. It's not because I haven't kept it. You just don't have one yet. <laughs> That's so good, Katie. That's so good. Yeah, so the call, the call of God, it, it, yeah, that's so good. The call, I think, from God is that we love in a way that family doesn't breed familiarity in a way that makes us complacent. Right? How many, yeah, the call from God is, is that we don't allow family to become familiarity in the place where we become complacent with each other. Let me ask, here's a way, good way to think about this. How many of you, it's more exciting when, like, Everett comes and starts giving prophetic words and he doesn't know you that well, and so whatever he says, he's not saying it because he knows you really well. He's saying it because God told him. How many of you understand, like, that seems like that seems more special? That's the opposite of what Scripture teaches as the norm. Prophecy is used in the body to build each other up. We get, it seems more spectacular when it's completely out of the blue and out of the context of relationship, but it was designed for relationship. It was designed that we use it to build each other up. Not because I'm knowing Ben according to the flesh, but I have a tracker with Ben. And I can remember a word that God gave Ben three years ago. And let's contend for that thing. You can't do that with someone who shows up once a year. That's not, it doesn't mean there's not a value in that. That just means that's not what it's designed for. We need to repent of having an attitude, and please forgive this expression, but it can't seem sexier for that kind of prophecy to happen versus using these gifts humbly to serve each other learning to honor the deposit when Loretta gets up and shares and she's spitting fire 
like that we're not like, wow, like, well, let's just see. I don't know. I've never heard Loretta preach before. Let's see if this is going to be good or not. I'll just kind of reserve, I'll kind of reserve my opinion on this until we see how it goes. No, I recognize the calling and the gifting and the deposit of God in her, and I humble myself and position myself to be able to receive. Does that make sense? That's a commitment to walk in honor. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, guys, that's really good. Could you hear that? Yes? Abby has more reason to walk in confrontation with me and Adrian than with someone she just met. So, yeah, it's easy when I meet someone and like, oh, there's a good impression. Wow, you're amazing. That's awesome. Like, I don't live with you. You don't know me. There's nothing I have to hide from you, right? You're living in the same house with people. Like, God put his inheritance in the saints. Is that what his word says? Honor is the ATM card that gives you access to his inheritance. Can I really learn to humble myself and honor what's inside of Jerry? Or do I want to like, I don't know Jerry yet. I'm not quite so sure about this guy. He gets weird haircuts and he wears cages and I don't know. It was a very nice weird haircut, but it's, it's a good job, Crystal. I mean, that's a great looking haircut. It's honor Crystal for the, yeah. I was talking about other haircuts, not this one. All the pre-crystal haircuts, yeah. Now listen, but does that make sense? Like if I wait and withhold my honor from someone versus having a posture, listen, I'm not, I don't want to honor something that's not honorable, but I do want to see what God's doing in someone. I can honor someone who doesn't even have Jesus. I can recognize who God made him to be, okay? Third thing, moving along, we agree to be accountable inside of real relationships. Here's what that looks like. Because we are building real relationships, we will speak into each other's lives and grow together more and more into the likeness of Jesus until his appearing. When I used to hear the word accountability, I thought of sin police. These are the people that are my accountability partners that I, they, we get together to find out if we've screwed up this week. There's actually a place where I need to have people who can hold me accountable that way. But if that's the only accountability that you know, that'll be a very, you'll be like trying to live and shielding yourself from them. But we need to be accountable to each other, not only, for, I mean, Gabe said this so well at the beginning when we were first getting ready to go on this walk together. I got to be people who hold me accountable, not just in my sin, but in, in the things that God's put in my heart. I got to know the things that God's put in your heart so I can keep you accountable to that, not just your weaknesses where you're going to stumble and fall. That is something that can't happen if we're just in a, you know, <laughs> if, if church is just like a, a, a flight on an airliner and everybody's, you know, there's like, everybody's facing the same direction. There's one person upstairs or up front giving you exit instructions. If that's what church is, and you're never going to get to know the person that's there to be able to love them and know them and be accountable to them. Does that make sense, guys? We've got to grow into a place, you know, and that, that requires, you know, that requires the, the hokey pokey thing, you know, like where you put your whole self in. If you're waiting just to put a little bit in and see, like, how does that go? Okay, well, I'm not sure like that, so let's put it in over here and see how that goes. Fine, it doesn't have to be here, but find some place that you can give yourself to relationships so that you can be known. You were created to know and be known, to love and be loved. And you will not be fully who God made you to be outside of those conditions. Because it's an expression. God is love, and you are an expression of his love. What, yes. It doesn't have to be here. There are no secret sauce. That's right. Right. That's right, Gabe. Does does this make sense? Does what he's saying make sense, guys? This is really important. Let's let's put these things together. If I'm not in a relationship where there's commitment, I can't get to know each other this way. But it's easier to honor someone on the easy side. It's easier to honor someone you don't know very well. So what can happen sometimes is maybe you don't feel really honored by the people who know you most, but the people that know you just a little bit really make you feel good. 
It can be easier to be drawn places where there's not that commitment. But that same thing is true in marriage. How many of you know that same thing can be true in marriage? Where it can be easy to be drawn to the thing that has no covenant and no commitment. But like, hey, we don't want to take each other for granted. That's part of like loving deeply. But like understanding that this thing, this let us consider. Like what do you do when you wake up in the morning? Hmm, I'm going to consider how I can stir Mike up today. Let us consider how to stir up one another in love and good works. Like, stop and think about it. I'm going to meditate on what I can do as Doug and Jamie are moving into marriage. Like, how can I pray for them? What, maybe what little act of kindness can be done for them that's going to allow them to be propelled further into God's love and further into God's best for them? Does that make sense? It's not just whenever the need arises. That's why I really want us to get over giving just to meet needs. We need to learn to give to propel people into their destiny. I would love... I would love for all of us, I'd love to do it together as a church. I'd love for every family and every individual to do it, to find someone who needs nothing that you can give them and still give them something. Because then you're not giving just to meet a need. We make an idol out of need, and we know that we have to meet needs. But like Jesus says, hey, even the world can like be nice to the people that are nice, that, that are nice to them. They can be nice to their friends. But like, what will you do to the people who don't like you? Can you release blessing to people who are cursing you? That's what it looks like to follow me. This is an upside-down kingdom. Do you want to come with me? That's not fair. No, neither is God. I do not deserve his love. I do not deserve his grace. I do not deserve his mercy. Fairness makes me think every time he has to give me mercy, he resents it. But actually, the Lord delights in showing mercy. If God were fair then he would have wiped me out a long time ago. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm not a 50-level sinner. I'm a 500 sinner. I didn't need just a little grace. I need a lot of grace. And if he was fair, his mercy would only have a certain amount of usage before he would begin to be weary of showing mercy. But he, you know what he says? My mercies are new every morning. He just can't run out. He's not up there keeping score to see if you have, if there was enough of the cross to reach your heart. He's not wondering if there was enough of his grace to save you to the uttermost. He delights in showing mercy. I don't understand that. I, there's nothing in my mind that can say, like, God, why would you be happy about having to show me mercy? But his heart and his love loves to break shackles off the oppressed. It loves to empower those who have no strength. And that is a part of what this means to consider each other. How many of you can sing with me, I couldn't earn it and I don't deserve it? We could sing that from us to God, but in relationships with each other, we can like, well, you haven't earned it and you don't deserve it. I want to just say, because when there's a place that pride begins to rise up, well, hey, we love each other well. No, the standard is love each other like I love you. And there's none of us that have arrived there yet, but let's stay on the wagon and keep going. Let's not stop in Denver. We can't afford to settle in Denver. Because there's a promise, and the promise isn't just for us. Let's wrap this up. We agree to walk in purity with one another. We have agreed to live from pure hearts that Jesus' death and resurrection has returned us to. How many of you in here are pure? Raise your hand if you're pure. I didn't believe that for a long time. There was brokenness in my life. In Ephesians chapter 1, it says, You are holy and blameless before me in love. Jesse said, again, at the beginning of our journey, Jesse said, Hey, in our call to, like, to, to share God's plan for marriage and for sexuality, we've put so much value that purity is something we can lose. But purity was never found in your virginity. It was found in the seed of Christ. There are many Muslims who will die virgins and go to hell. An act of sexual intercourse cannot be what makes you pure. There are none that are righteous, no, not one. My purity can't be found in my behavior, 
Even in my mindset, my purity is found in Jesus. This is all my hope and peace. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Listen to this. This is all my righteousness. I want to be a man that looks like Jesus. I want to reflect him in my character. But in and of myself, I will never have that strength. I'm, this is an impossible standard. And so many of us have been broken in these places. And this feels dangerous to call us to love purely. But guys, this is not our idea. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you've been born again, not of a perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Love one another deeply from the heart. When Gabby comes into my life, it's not okay to just say, oh, there's a nice person. I hope she has a nice life. God, where are you making our lives overlap? God, how can I know her and walk with her in purity? So that I'm not trying to figure out how much is appropriate to love her. Listen, you can't love someone too much. You can just love someone impurely. I'll give the testimony here. I remember meeting Jesse and just thinking like, wow, Jesse's a shiny one. Something so pure in her life. God rewired my thinking because I kept thinking, how can I, you know, honor my relationship with my wife? I got to make sure I don't love Jesse too much. No, I was convicted by the scripture over and over and over again. It's not about loving Jesse up to the threshold of how much is enough. It's loving her purely loving her completely, loving her deeply. Again, this is not something that's in there once. It's in there over and over and over and over again. Paul, John, Peter, Jesus. This is not an option for you to check a box on. To know someone and to love them and to be able to walk in a place of purity with them is not built on my past track record or my current abilities. It's based on the grace of God and humbling myself to say, yes, God, I'm going to do it your way. Because I promise you, I will not be more godly by doing it my way than I will be by doing it his. I will not walk in mere purity by walking in fear of my potential mess-ups, and I will by humbling myself and walking inside of it. Listen, if you try to do that one-on-one and nobody else is around, that's going to be dangerous. But if you can do this in a culture of people saying, hey, I'm going to walk with you, and we're going to share this standard. Do you hear what I'm saying? Are you, are you still there? We're, 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 we're in our descent, but are you still there? Because I can't tell. Apollo, come on. <laughs> I love you, Dad. Yes. So how many of you know the awesome Loretta Yoder? She's amazing. So I asked her if I could share this. Um, she said, oh, her roommate's, you know, been having a boyfriend around, and they've probably been doing things they shouldn't. And Loretta was like, what do I do here? So Laura and I just got the opportunity to talk to her what it looks like to live purely in following Jesus when somebody else isn't making that choice. And we struggled through it, and she went to her roommate, and she said, hey, I, I can't do this anymore. We are having your boyfriend stay over our dorm room. She said, I want to I love my God purely, and I want to live this out. And her roommate's like, okay, I'm going to move out. And I was like, this is, this is hard. Like, this is somebody we're really trying to love purely and push toward Jesus, but this roommate's just like, okay, I'm going to move out. So Loretta was just like, this is terrible. Like, what did I do? Did I do the wrong thing? And so she's with us, and my parents come up last week, so I'm going to kind of connect the dots, hopefully, between all four of these quickly. Um, so my parents come up last week, and Loretta just, like, hangs out with us and loves on us. So we get to go see my family last night, and my family doesn't know Jesus, so they, they say things that are awkward sometimes. So my dad was like, that Loretta girl is really into you. And I was like, okay, God, how do I confront this in a way that's like, we're not in social covenant, right? But how do I confront this in love? And I said, you know what, Dad? I agree, but I think it's different than how you see it. And he said, oh, why so? And I said, well, I really feel like it's so amazing the way that we get to walk with people and love people. Like it's, it's changed my life, the way that we get to just walk with people and love people. And he stopped me and he said, I agree, the authority and influence that you and Laura have and the way that you live your life is remarkable. And I like almost choked on my spit. 
was, I was like, like the ability for Laura and I to love Loretta, this you know, amazing, beautiful young woman, like nothing would qualify us to love her purely. The way that my family doesn't even know Jesus recognized how we live recognizably. The world knew that we knew Jesus by the way that we loved Loretta. That, that blew my mind. The people that have held us accountable throughout the years to pursue God no matter what. And just, it's just like, man, this can't, this, this just story can't get any better. So I don't know what's next, but just the ability, the ability for Loretta to just be faithful, to like follow Jesus purely, just called us to be like, hey, how do we, how do we honor her by al allowing us to be with her? as she loves our family, and then how do we, like, God just reciprocated that, and so that was a very poor sharing, but, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Come on. Give the Lord a hand clap now. Yeah. <sighs> Man, blessed are the pure in heart. They will see God. My whole life, purity, because of the places I had struggled, was defined by what I wasn't looking at, not by who I was seeing. The pure will see God. So I just put this down. Never allow your purity to be defined by what you don't look at, but by who you gaze upon. Don't look at, don't look at stuff you shouldn't look at. But you not looking at stuff you shouldn't look at will not make you pure. Don't say things you shouldn't say, but you not saying things you shouldn't say will not keep you pure. Blessed are the pure in heart. They will see God. Seek my, you said seek my face. Your face I will seek. recognizable. To the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ. I'm going to tell you this story, then we'll be done. There's this guy, I was, I was standing a couple years ago at a concert. Franklin Graham was in town, not in Grove City, um, in Pittsburgh. And we were with Josh and Lacey. And there's this guy named Lecrae. How many of you know who Lecrae is? Lecrae is large, like 6'3", six, 6'4", six, broad shoulders. Lacey is not large. Can I get a witness, right? So, like, Lacey is about 4'10", 4'11", small, white, female. I want you to think about this and just ponder this. Jesus said the world will recognize you by the way that you love each other. If God told the city of Pittsburgh, I want you to look out for a six-foot-four African-American man because when he comes, he's going to speak words that will change your life. And Lacey shows up and says, hey, guys, I got a message from Jesus. Could you blame Pittsburgh for not listening to Lacey? Lecrae and Lacey don't actually look anything alike. What if God, what if Jesus told his disciples, the world will recognize you by the way that you love each other well. And we've been trying to figure out how do we move mountains? How do we feed the poor? How do we give our lives to be burned? How do we get good at spiritual gifts? And we've missed this ingredient of loving each other. Now, I don't believe that there's no one here that loves each other. I'm just saying, God, we can't lower the standard. Does that make sense? Can you stand up? Let's pray together. I want to put this up over the doors. Love deeply. Live recognizably. I want us to be reminded when we come in, when we go out, like when we come in, we live for one thing. Let's seek his face together. Guys, this is not the church. This is not the church. We are the church. And it's not by our great PowerPoint presentations, our clever messages, the amazing worship leaders we have that the world will recognize that we belong to him. Listen, it's not by your good theology. Guys, good doctrine is really important. But Jesus didn't say they'll know you by your correct doctrine. It's not by your quest for justice to move in his power. You were made in his image to be filled with his essence. Can we just lay hands on our hearts? Let's just pray together. You just invite God. God, we, we've read your word this morning. We've heard testimonies from different people who have just shared about how this has been challenging for us. It's not been easy. It's not been 
the path of least resistance. But God, I truly believe, and we just pray for ourselves. God, we pray that by your kindness, you would lead us to change the way we think. God, not so that we can become a better church. Jesus, we want to look like you. I would love to look like you. But God, I believe your plan is not for me as an individual to look like you, but for the body to look like you. And so God, we recognize that we're just one part of the body here in this region. We recognize that the body in this region is just one part of your body that's on the planet right now. And God, we're humbled just to be a small part. But we ask you in the name of your son, Jesus, we ask you in the name that we worshiped earlier. We ask you by your power. We ask you by your strength. Would you come fuel our hearts that we would not stop in Denver? But what we would go and we would have faith to believe that your word is true and that you want the church to look like the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. God, I believe, help my unbelief. Teach us how to walk this out. God, I pray for people who are kind of newer to our community, God, that this would not feel overwhelming or scary, but would feel like an encouragement and an invitation. God, I pray for all of us who've been guilty of being familiar, who've been weary and well-doing, God, that we would just all over again taste and see that you're good and that your ways are good and perfect. We love you, God. We bless you. In Jesus' name, amen.